Hello and welcome to the British haunting, the British haunting, the British haunting podcast. It's not the oh, it's not the British haunting podcast anymore. This is the Cockney edition, and this is the British haunting, um, oh. the British haunting podcast. Uh, Dan, this week we are looking at the exorcism of Sarah Williams. Yeah, we are, mate. Yeah, it's, we're going um, back in time for this one. We are. This is going to be a history lesson with a twist. Um, uh, first of all, um, Happy New Year to all of our listeners, uh, all of our subscribers. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. And uh, Dan, Happy New Year to yourself as well. Happy New Year, Steve. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, um, considering that we're obviously, you know, we're, we're still in lockdown. We are. I mean, if you're following the news at all, you'll see we're in tier 47 now. Which only allows your atoms to converge with sunlight at 2 p.m. every second Sunday. That sunlight has to be rose or some blush on the Dulux colour chart. People should stand 3.2 feet away from each other and wear the government approved (laughs) snorkel kit unless you're clinically vulnerable. And then, as you would know, you have already been hermetically sealed into one of Hancock's kiln jars and stored away. (laughs) <laughs> it's very true and of course we need all of those uh all of those elements particularly the storage guards because um uh as we can see there's been some kind of change in the uh the the virus we dare not speak the name of uh apparently it's due a full systems upgrade which will probably lead to uh friends and family pinwheeling and speech and movement slightly going out of sync um personally i've enjoyed the uh the sars retro edition uh as i like retro things uh i've got to keep the blanket the ambulance staff gave me and they brought me back from meandering into traffic then which uh after being mesmerized by pokey sars go gotta catch them all yeah have you got it on your phone i have i have I, last week uh like you i was brought back by cam i was in a tree oh but, okay. <laughs> oh well um dan shall we get on with this week's podcast Let's do it the exorcism of sarah williams Now this week, Dan, I've been um, I've been trying to get back into the exercise because uh, I mean I, I I exercise as you know we, um, we exercise on the regular. So for the listeners at home, um, where and when possible, me me and Dan would go to the gym together if we can. But obviously, this last few months has been slightly awkward. So uh, with lockdowns and everything, so we've either trained on our own in our own separate towns in our own separate gyms and um that makes keeping up that habit of keeping fit um just that little bit more difficult but i've got back into it this week dan have you yeah yeah i mean I, I, we're still doing stuff anyway but it did drop off a little bit um but i mean just in this last two days i don't know if it's the january thing it's a bit cliche but i've been uh i've been i've been getting fit again dan magic I, I downloaded my fitness pal today because I thought I've just got a little bit fat, you know. And, <laughs> and I, I was snoring and stuff, you know, stuff that indicates maybe you're a bit heavier than you should be. So yeah, I'm, fair I'm enough. January, February, and I'm thinking by March uh, I want to be Holocaust ready. So. <laughs> oh, crikey! <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm. See, I, I'm one of these people where I'm I, I might I might be a bit svelte. I might look like I'm you know I'm in good shape. And generally, most of the time, I am. But 
Um, I've chucked in a bit of cardio, extra cardio, I should say, this week, and I am struggling big time. So uh, just hoping I can make it through this week's podcast. I'm hoping so. I Honestly, if you start breathing heavy or whatever, then we'll just have to stop. You can have a drink, maybe have a lie down. That Well, to be fair, that might not be entirely down to, you know, like a lack of fitness for being able to speak for a podcast. It might be that what you're saying is so terrifying or so exciting in other action that, you know, it, it, it might cause heavy breathing, Dan. You, you have that effect on me sometimes. I, I really do. And you were talking about exercise, but obviously that's one way of spelling it and saying it, but we're, we're looking <laughs> at the other way of exercising today aren't we uh are you, are you getting a spurious link in there dan <laughs> it's not spurious it was 100 percent solid I, I like it i'm i'm kudos from this end i'm going to give you a little little round of applause there so. thank you very much i deserve that dan for for this week's podcast um we are going back to school um if you're not familiar with british royal history then sit tight and buckle up listener because this true story involves demons, possessions, assassination attempts, and loads of executions, um, which is my favourite. Uh, you could say, are you ready, Dan? Yeah. That it's dead, it's, that it's dead exciting. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so with, with that in mind, let's set the scene. Okay. In 1533, Henry VIII famously had some marital issues, uh, namely in the form of disliking his current wife and wanting to replace her with someone else he could make a royal deposit in. Odd how he never considered lack of babies in his life, maybe down to his own royal testes. Anyhow, Henry V111, Henry V111, that is right, isn't it? Yeah, I got it in my head. And it's too easy to say Henry VIII. But anyway, he formally chose himself to become the churchiest of all kings and decreed that England should have its own church, the Church of England, or C of E, as it's fondly known today. He also stopped answering calls, texts and WhatsApps from Pope Clement VII, and he introduced England Anglicanism 1.1. He was was right up there. He was was ahead of his time. Um, A little later... He was ahead of many things, country, church, and everything, even time. Um, A a little later, after Henry died, his son Eddie also croaked it, and then Mary I took England back in time and issued Roman Catholicism retro edition, uh, where you could get all the old cassocks, hats, and gowns. Um, She also burned approximately 300 Protestants alive. That's not very nice, is it? Uh, No, no. Uh, so, uh, uh, just just as a brief aside I, I live in canterbury and we've got a monument quite literally uh on our doorstep to the canterbury martyrs who she burnt so oh oh you have have you is that the one we walked past when we when we had our socially distance on of the people that burnt so yeah I, I when i first moved to this area i thought it was um you know like a cenotaph or something but Actually, to uh, something that happened four or five hundred years ago. So crazy. Wow. Anyway, so uh, when when Mary died, Elizabeth I took Catholicism off the market again and reinstated yep. Protestantism. Like her husband, yeah, that, uh, Can you say that again, Protestantism. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's quite unique. It took off despite being really hard to say. 
<laughs> um, like her half-sister, Elizabeth also took to executing the opposite team's most ardent fans. <laughs> this didn't go down too well with many. The Catholics in the UK were often linked to plots to overthrow the government or even kill Big Liz herself. In order mm. to reinstate, reinstate Catholicism, which in turn meant the crown began to crack down on Catholics. This included pushing normal folk to go to Protestant churches and services, and they were fined if they didn't, and priests have to had to leave the country. Crikey. As preaching and performing mass was treason, so obviously if you were a priest and you were caught by the uh, the priest catchers, yes, then, uh, then, then you would have been killed. The, the priest catchers, did they have... Did right. they have big nets? Did the, the priest catchers? Did they have like big nets and would walk yeah. around the streets? Uh, like? Uh, like the, the Catholic priests at the time were very similar yeah. to butterflies we we see now. <laughs> so that's that's where you would see it. So butterflies catching butterflies, catching Catholics, just the same. <laughs> um, it quickly, over a very short, essentially a short period, really, I would guess, it became illegal to do anything. Catholic at all. Even if yes. you were someone who's really into cats and you were considered yourself a cataholic. I was waiting still, for that. Uh, that's still illegal too. <laughs> um, meanwhile, during Lizzie's Protestant reign, Mary Stuart, Queen of Scots, yeah. know, is continuing her Catholicism. And in 1567, she's forced to abdicate and flees to England, where Big Liz effectively locks her up for 20 years or so. Anyway, 20 years later, our story that we're going to tell today begins. Mm -hmm. Ooh. I'm, I'm really intrigued about this full story today, Dan, because uh, for, for the... Uh, for the listeners out there, we what we tend to do with a, a lot of what we bring to you is um, w normally we would research together, but because of the way we're having to work at the moment in, in different cities, that we bring together the uh, the information that we've we've gleaned and found in in books and other sources, and, and we bring it to you. And so today we we was because this one's quite in depth. We uh, we we've come at it from different angles. So I'm really really intrigued to hear some of the stuff that Dan said because we've had some we've we've had some good chats about this one, haven't we? We have. So it's a, it's an exciting story, but it's uh, like I say we n normally you know normally we we kind of go fairly modern. Sometimes our our spirits of the week, the uh, spirit of the week, um, they they quite often you know will uh, will be all sorts of times but uh, time periods that the the spirits emerge from um but but this one just shows the the depth really of exorcism in british history and um and as we are british yeah as with the british me i found it in a book that i'm reading at the moment and uh and i sort of immediately thought this would be good for a podcast yes yeah and there's 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 quite a bit to this there's there's a lot to unpack um and you could really come at this from many different directions so um uh, it, again, if if you've got the opportunity whilst you're listening to this, to write down a couple of little points, there's there's so many different areas you could explore on this if you if it really takes your interest. But for now, Dan, for today's story, we find ourselves in a Protestant nation back in the 1580s, 
and uh, there's a it's a Protestant nation, but there's a Catholic underground. Uh, there's gentry who outwardly seem Protestant, but behind closed doors, they have secret masses, house priests, and keep their paraphernalia hidden. Um, Denim, the Denim exorcisms uh, stretch from 1585 to 1586, um, with the exorcisms of six demon, 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 I can never say this word. Demonics, demonics, which I'll explain what it is in just one moment, by 12 priests, uh, the chief of whom was a Jesuit, William Weston, also known as Edmunds. Now, most of the exorcisms took place in the home of Sir George Peckham of Durham uh, in Buckinghamshire in England, and the possessions were part of a conversion campaign against Protestants and a political plot against the crown. Um, just to quickly go over that other word a second uh demoniacs or demoniacs um though those are essentially um basically either people uh or things um that essentially display um uh display the characteristics behavior and or appearance of a demon or demonic entity so in short someone who is possessed so it's worth remembering that point for this story it's in this climate that we've just mentioned with these underground uh, Catholics, uh, where our story begins. Absolutely. So we'll, I, I'm just going to really focus on one person of the group. So this was okay. uh, someone called Sarah or Sarah Williams. She was the maid to a secret Catholic called Anne Vaux. Now the Vaux family mm. have a, a, a long history of being within the British upper class. They've got lots of properties in the country, um, but they're Catholic. And at this point in the story, mm. they have essentially been cracked down on quite significantly. Um, so Sarah Williams, previously, um, she was known to be possessed of many diverse devils. But at <laughs> this point in the story, she's settled in, she's seeming quite cheerful, um, and she's living in the Vaux family home. But just that, just on that, mm. on that point... You said that she was she was known for being possessed of many diverse devils. Now, just two things on that. Um, obviously, if someone's been known to be possessed of, say, many diverse devils, it could be that they've just it's almost like an expression for they're quite troubled, isn't it? You know, it could be lots of different things. But uh, she was obviously clearly ahead of her time, or at least the demons were in this sense, because they were diverse devils. So yeah, they'd managed to get beyond the bigotry that would come through British culture for the next 400 years. Yeah, yeah. one of them I, one of them in the book was a wheelchair user, you know, um, oh. and another devil was, uh, you know, obviously a Muslim. Anyway, um, so <laughs> she was possessed of diverse devils, but when she moved to the Fox family home, she was much uh, brighter, cheerful, everyone seemed to get on. It was all good. But on New Year's Day, 1586, while celebrating the Feast of the Circumcision of the Lord, it was noted oh. by a, a visiting priest that Sarah was acting all weird. And he decided she must have been repossessed, which I like. I like the idea of being repossessed, like a house or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he then put, you didn't he pay then, the bills, so the devil's yeah, coming in. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're down on your bills. We'll send the bailiffs in first. And if not, you'll be repossessed by diverse devils. Um, <laughs> Then sent for some of his colleagues and they set about expelling the devil from her. A witness account reported that through the devil, Sarah repeatedly cursed the exorcist, 
saying, God's wounds, God's life, six popish mm. priests, and to prison with them, hang them, like that. Well, that sounded just like her. I think it did. I think it did. Well, let's not remember, it's not just her, it's the devil within her. Exactly. Um, the following day, the Voxes let more Catholic priests into their home to battle with the devil who scorned them, their faith and their clothing. An account of the time stated the devil roared and cried in the most terrible manner, curse against Mary. Um, the priest's methods of exorcism included variably holding burdening brimstone and saintly relics under her nose, including, oh. now get this, the bone mm. of an old priest friend who, who was martyred, who was friends with the Vauxes previously. Um, what, do, do we know what bone it was? Uh, no. But they did oh. have relics in the house, like hands, and uh, quite frequently, if you list, if you read about martyrs and bones, it tends to be like leg bones and long arm bones, because I suppose those are the the ones that <laughs> stick around uh, the most. I've got this picture in my head of of like this arm from this obviously this uh, this martyr, and. You know, like you, that, you know when someone holds their finger, like you're at school and someone goes, sniff my finger, and they hold their finger under their nose and someone's, yeah. someone's, someone's got the hand of this martyr and scrunched up all of their fingers bar the forefinger and it's in a pointing motion and they've, they've rubbed this hand underneath going, smell his finger, yeah, smell on. his finger. Oh, she's still acting all weird. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> they start one of the priests is really immature and he starts getting the hand and poking her in the ear or in the nose with the finger <laughs> exactly or doing the sort of um you know when you get your thumb and it looks like your thumb's moved on your hand doing it with the <laughs> do magic tricks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's so priests or well, there's a few in the house now i think ultimately there's up to 12 but they're giving her a hallowed drink. I don't know what a hallowed drink is, but I'm assuming oh, something like holy water or no. I I know what I know what it was. I read about this. Um, unfortunately, I haven't got it. I've got some notes in front of me, obviously, but I I, I took it out of my other notes. It, it had um it had oil in it, um, but it wasn't necessarily holy oil. It was actually just some form of oil. Um, it was burnt ash. And there was another kind of liquid in there and it was mixed up and right. apparently absolutely vile. They would, they would sometimes give it to people to make people sick. You know, like if you'd say swallowed something, you shouldn't swallow. So yeah, they yeah. give you that and it make you throw up. So like yeah, that's what's in it. Yeah. Okay. So there was that. And then they also performed the Eucharist and yeah. also showed her pictures of the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like the idea of like a few pictures of the Virgin Mary, you know, she's, She's somewhere in Hawaii with two fingers up, sunglasses on, <laughs> showing the holiday snaps. So, <laughs> so these things, um, they made Sarah shout, scream, spew, and spit. Well, you would be, you would do though, wouldn't you? I mean, like you know, you're you're in this like this dark and dingy room in the middle of some, you know, um, stinky old medieval house, and someone showing you pictures of like you know the quite well-to-do virgin mary out on her holidays you know yeah, that, yeah. You, you, and you've you'd just be... had a hallowed drink and someone's rubbing the, a saint saintly bone under your nose <laughs> yeah. it's really strange it's a really strange situation this ordeal that she had 
lasted yeah. from four in the morning to two p.m. the next day. Gradually, it is said that the devil began to succumb to the priest's power. He gave his name as I think this is pronounced Saint Maho. Yeah, Mayo. And then Mayo. he retreated into her body, making her shout, He will break my belly, he will break my belly, he lieth in the bottom of my belly. Oh. Um, at this point, the priest's request is to get another woman to support him in applying the relic earlier mentioned, the bone of a friend, mm. to Sarah's lady bits in order oh, to right. release the demon, which duly occurred. Oh. Following application, Sarah then says that she's fine. Well, thanks, everyone. Cheers. Thank you. No problem. Thank <laughs> you for that. That was great. Uh, I especially like your bit. You know, Jeff, <laughs> you did really well there. Um, when asked if she saw him leave, the devil, she said she saw him leave in the likeness of water. Um, is this is this a case of somehow like the martyr has uh, has got a lady wet is that what we're I, suggesting i couldn't say but i believe that cardi b wrote a song about it so oh i'm saying <laughs> um i i mean i couldn't it's really hard to tell what's going on in this story really um but i think you can read between the lines yes um, it's pretty gruesome it's an odd one so mm. the case itself i mean the per- the book i'm reading suggests that essentially what happens is that this woman is afflicted by something called the mother which is in this period was period play period pains plus hysteria and a lot of women right. went through this um and and so the suggestion is that she was experiencing this was the time of her month time of the month and um the ordeal plus psychological aspects really led to the situation that we're in however of course we're uh we're talking about exorcism and and devil and these people are in a religious time in a religious community so did you know that actual condition that hysteria um Mm. that actually stuck around in uh in british culture uh, for a long, long time, and it wasn't just isolated to that point. Um, really? I can't speak for I can't speak for other cultures because this is a British haunting show, um, and mainly because I don't know. But within British culture, it stuck around, and um, during the eighteen hundreds in like in England, um, women were actually allowed to stay at home uh, from work for for long periods of time because they were suffering from hysteria, and they believed that it was brought on sometimes by um by say like you know a, a lady's monthly or just simply for being a being a female would bring on um this kind of hysteria so yeah well the story of my part of the story will wrap up here which is that essentially over as tensions grew between the catholics and the protestant government over the years the government's interest in the case evolved went from eventually essentially in the beginning people going well it's just magic don't worry about it to actually being quite interested like you say Mm -hmm. this story is um wrapped up in all of the other stuff that's going on sarah was deposed in 1602 and interviewed wherein she explained that she fed the exorcist priest visions and over exaggerated but was careful to suggest that they weren't fraudulent and uh, she felt that they were doing what was 
best, really. Um, the case was published by William Harsnett in 1603, and the purpose was to undermine the Catholic magic um, through a perspective, as we might see today, and we've sort of said already, is that Sarah was physically, mentally, and sexually abused by men in power, and men who heard and saw what they wanted rather than what was actually objectively true. That um, that the case, as you just mentioned, obviously it was published by William Harsnett in sixteen oh three. Did you know, Dan, um, that that account of those exorcisms by Harsnett had the most catchy title of a book you've ever heard? It, was it short and snappy? Uh, it, it was. It, no, <laughs> it, okay. it was it was something. Would you like to hear it? I, I, I would. Do I need to sit down? Um, well, bear in mind, this is just the title of a book. So if if you can just imagine for one moment, you know, you're interested in exorcisms, you're up the town centre, you're you walk or around the mall, if you're listening to this in America or somewhere else, and, and you're walking around and you're looking for a good bookshop because, you know, you want to get some books on exorcisms. And uh, if you're in England, um, walking down a high street or in, a, in one of our shopping malls, you might come across Waterstones. You walk into Waterstones, you go up to the shopkeeper and you say, excuse me, um, I'm after a book about exorcisms. It was originally re- written by Harsnett in 1603. And, the, and the, uh, the shopkeeper will say to you, what's the name of the book? And you would say, now, do you have a preferred accent for me to say this title of this book? Jamaican oh okay well this could go really wrong and I could offend many cultures but if you've just heard that Dan has requested that it's in Jamaican yeah okay so you know Jamaican me laugh that's all so I've gone in and I've gone into said bookshop hello I would like to have a book on exorcisms (laughs) and when was this book released 16 or 3 who by William Harsnett. I don't know if that's any good. Okay. And, uh, and, <laughs> and I can't believe you're making me do this. And, okay, and what, was the title, what was the title of the book by William Harsnett in 1603? Okay. It was entitled A Declaration of Egregious Popish Impostures to Withdraw the Hearts of Her Majesty's Subjects from Their Allegiance and from the Truth of Christian Religion Professed in England Under the Pretense of Casting Out Devils, Mm. Practiced by Edmund's Alias Western, a Jesuit, a diverse Romish priest, his wicked associates, whereunto are annexed the copies of the (laughs) confessions and examinations of the parties themselves, which pretended to be possessed, and dispossessed, taken upon oath before Her Majesty's Commissioners for Causes Ecclesiastical. <laughs> that was brilliant. I think, we should, <laughs> I think we should acknowledge how good that was. Also, at Thanks. this point, obviously, the, the Waterstones person would say, yeah, yeah, it's just behind you. And then <laughs> yeah. you would have turned round and you would have seen a very, very long book spine. <laughs> <laughs> it's housed in its own <laughs> shelf. Because there's no other books that tall. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably like seven pages long as well. It is an odd book. It is. Uh, the, you know, the, it, within the book, there's actually not much written because most of the story's <laughs> on the spine. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, I mean, that's it's beautiful, really. 
but, uh, the exorcists would continue to exercise, not like you were exercising or me, but exorcise, no. and mostly in a very public way, which would then lead to an increase of converts to Catholicism until August 1586, when some of the priests were arrested on the orders of Elizabeth's spymaster, Sir Francis Walsingham. <laughs> what and a cool name. That. I am the spy. It's a brilliant name. Frankie Walsingham. <laughs> Walsingham. Big Frankie. Yeah. Um, and then either died in jail or were hanged, drawn, and quartered. Now, obviously, mm. you might not know what being hanged, hanged, drawn, and quartered is. Um, but, uh, I do, but for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to say yeah. I don't know what it is. Okay, you don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I will tell you. Um, <laughs> essentially, what happened was people were hanged by the neck until they were semi-conscious, and then they were purposefully taken down, and their, their innards were pulled out. Sometimes their innards were pulled out and burnt in front of them. Sometimes the genitals were cut off. And then following that, they would be quartered, meaning their arms, legs, and head were cut off and then distributed around the country in famous places where people would see them and they would know that's the head of Jeff. You know, yeah. he was a treasonous priest. Damn and him. Essentially, it's, a war. It's, it's not nice. It's not nice at all. No. Um, it has been noted that the exorcisms we've talked about today, as you said, the denim exorcisms, can also be seen as part of a bigger picture called the Babington Plot, and it's mm-hmm. essentially where a 24-year-old Catholic gent, Anthony Babington, is part of a scheme whereby he would assassinate Big Liz and install Mary Stewart onto the throne. I don't know if you know the story, but an amusing episode from this that I, I liked was that <laughs> he's her pen pal, and he writes to her enthusiastically, telling of his plan, and she writes back and tells him, oh, you can do it if you want. Um, yeah. So little does he know that when he sends a letter, it first gets to one of Frankie Walsingham's code breakers, Thomas Phillips. Phillips. Then to Mary. Then on its way back, passes through the code breaker again. And on the last occasion, the code breaker writes, P.S. Please tell me your co-conspirators' names. Lots of love, Queenie M. And then, <laughs> ends, and then this leads to his and her death. In oh. essence, what's happened is he sent the letter um, and neither of them know that someone intercepts in between. Uh, and then in his in his best Queenie M handwriting, <laughs> gets him to divulge all of his secrets. He's not, not a very be. bright bloke, this Walsing, uh, this, uh, what's his name, Babington. He's not no. essentially, he's not the main driver of the thing in the same way that Guy Fawkes wasn't the main driver of the other plot that we all know about. But he gets, uh, he uh, unfortunately gets hanged, drawn and quartered in quite a vicious way. It was later on. Nasty one. Queenie, Queenie M, Big Mary Stewart, she gets her head cut off. But if you know that story, they cut it once and uh, essentially miss. And they have to have a good couple of goes at it. She's a bit grim. It is a bit. Do you know Queenie M was related in any way? I know it's a far distance chance of it being so but do you know if queenie m was related to boney m the popular 80s english singer yes yes if you could give us a boney m song now that'd be great uh no because uh, the thing was is during the 80s um i was uh an infant so yeah. I, I can't recall any songs by boney m off the top of my head 
and I don't think with internet around me, so I can't even give you. I can't even like you know get a karaoke track up. Well, fine, but yeah, um, they are essentially the same person. Yes, yeah. well, I thought as much. You know, they 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 shared the same uh, surname. Um, Dan, you know, um, obviously, we've spoken about um, uh, the uh, the these this exorcism with Sarah Williams. Um, but the first person that was actually exercised in England by Weston, a.k.a. Edmunds, um, the, uh, the mad priest, uh, the first person actually exercised uh, by, by him was uh, William Marwood, um, who's a servant of um, Anthony Babington, um, who obviously later visited Denham in order to witness the exorcisms of the six demoniacs. De- here we got that word again. De- demoniac. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Um, I keep thinking about that. Say that. Demon Ajax. You know, that's the anime. Yeah. Um, Did you know um, four of the uh, Denim Demon Ajax were later questioned, uh, which um, Mm -hmm. obviously I'm sure was all above board uh, and didn't involve torture or coercion or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And they uh, allegedly confessed to faking possessions. So we we know that something's gone on here. We, you know, it's not to dispute that there wasn't any sort of real possessions because I believe that there's something going on, but I think it's been heavily manipulated for a particular cause. But either way, that's, uh, that's obviously our speculation. So, but, let's have a look at, um, I'm going to look at a couple of other people who briefly, who were, um, who were within these, this group of six people who uh, pr- were presenting as demons. Um, two of them, uh, with the, well, I should say from the outset that two, two of the people, we don't know who they were. We don't have much account. Um, but, and this, so we say that was number one and number two. So number three and number four um, were Protestants. You've got Sarah, Sarah Williams, um, who we've just discussed, uh, a servant at Denham, and her sister, um, Freidsvid, or Fid, who was uh, 17, she was a bit older than Sarah, um, who took over Sarah's chores when she began having fits. I like the idea of that. She's having fits in the corner. You go, you're not going to polish this table. God, honestly, you'll do anything to get out of this. Go and muck out the horses. Your sister's having a seizure. <laughs> exactly. Again, she's having another seizure with the devil in her. But do you know what? Fid, her sister, okay, mm. she, uh, she started getting all of these jobs. And she suddenly thought, "Hang on a second. Well, I say that she this she might not. This might be genuine, but um, I mean, it genuinely happened. But I don't know if this was, you know, the uh, the reasoning behind it. Fid fell in the laundry. I mean, I'm not quite sure how you fall, fall, fell in the laundry. I have a huge laundry pile in my house all the time because there's a lot of people who live here. Yeah. Um, but this must have been a heck of a pile." Fid fell yeah. in the laundry and was persuaded that she had become possessed too. Yeah, I like the um, idea of that. I like, you know, you fall in the laundry, which is the ideal place to fall. You know, there's duvets and things. And, yeah. And then once you come to having had your fit, someone says, oh, you must have been possessed. And you go, uh, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, I wasn't pissed or I wasn't, you know, getting on with, like the the male servants of the house, you know, I I fell into all of the bed linen and everything. She could have fallen into like fine china or something like that. So, I mean, um, yeah, I'm going back to it. I just, you know, obviously we've already talked about how the priests used a uh, a relic of a martyr to uh, yeah 
finish Sarah's <laughs> um, situation off pleasurably. I, I was there's part of me that was wondering whether Fid had already noted that that was going to happen. I said, "Well, I'm possessed too," you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, we'll we'll find the other hand. Give me the foot. <laughs> Yeah, come on. I need a I need a big leg bone, please. Um, yeah. anyway. Give me the femur. <laughs> I need that femur. It's going into a fid's room. Fid, where have you put that femur? No, oh, I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, uh, it's a well-known fact that's just not published anywhere that after the uh, possessions and after she, you know, had her confessions and stuff and it was all better, um, that she uh, formed part of a football um, gang, a rival gang to West Ham. And she was like in Chelsea or something like that. And she was known as Fid the Femur. And uh, <laughs> she would go around battering people with um, bones and other objects. That's what relics are used for, really, isn't it? You know, um, it was to make up for a, a failed career in uh, in adult entertainment. Um, Dan, that was that was two of the um, uh, two more of the uh, Protestants. Right. There was two other people who, uh, who were possessed, but these were Catholic. So this is interesting. Interesting twist because obviously the premise behind, say, like the religious side of this story, you know, taking the the monarchy monarchy story out of it take away that royal element and obviously we're left with a um the battleground between the churches um kind of going on but two of them were catholic um which is interesting um the first of which was annie smith uh who was 18 uh, a family friend of the peckhams uh, and she was sent to denham because she was having fits um which we've you know we've uh, we know that um uh, Sarah was having fits as well. So there seems to be something, you know, obviously yeah, he would have been a good, I don't know if he was, you know, good for epilepsy or something, this this priest, but um, obviously we might not have known about that then. So anyway, the, the, she was uh, sent for sent to him for having fits. And then uh, the other Catholic was a guy called Richard Maney. Now, Richard's story, in my opinion, is amazing. Um, Richard was about 18 at the time of his exorcism. He was an Englishman who had become a friar in France, but left the order because of the strictness, uh, because of their strictness and the fact that are you ready for this, Dad? And uh, the fact that he yeah. disliked fish, the monastery's dietary mainstay. <laughs> so, he, 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 I just love the fact that he, you know, he committed to the most, you know, at the time, uh, other than being a priest, he committed to one of the most holy things you could do at the time within uh, medieval Europe, which was to become a friar. And he was in France and he left the monastery because they were strict and they liked fish. And yeah, he didn't. A, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, fish again. Fucking hell, guys. Oh. <laughs> but he also suffered from hysteria, which is amazing because maybe this monastery, which I'm not quite sure where it was. Let's imagine for one moment that it's bang in the centre of uh, of um, France. It's nowhere near the coast. And each day you're probably like, but where does the fish come from? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, this. <laughs> We're not near the sea. I don't understand. How are there yeah. so many fish? And they just look at each other knowingly. I oh, know I've heard the stories, but just tell me where the fish come from. Exactly. <laughs> now, ah. now Richard Maney, um, he he had a name for his demon. Well, I mean, it wasn't his name. You know, he he didn't name it, but um, yeah. there, 
there seems to be an account in particular with the demon that possessed him. Uh, and if you have a little look into, uh, if, if anyone's listening is, uh, um, got any experience in demonology and has studied, uh, um, ancient demons, they might be aware of one called Modu. Now this is quite interesting because Modu is a very specific demon and would have, I would imagine wouldn't have been that well known amongst people back then. Um, so that, that just intrigues me, but again, he does have that, you know, that religious, uh, background. He was a friar. So perhaps he had a bit more understanding, who knows? Um, or well, that's what, that's why he said, that's why they're so worried about him. He's oh, strict and they keep eating fish because he kept reading books well past 11 and they were, <laughs> Richard, will you put that candle out? Honestly, we're trying to sleep. I can hear you turning the pages. <laughs> Stop scrolling so hard. <laughs> Stop reading but, the book. Honestly. <laughs> and and he keeps whipping himself at night. So honestly, the flagellation stops at ten, we've told you. <laughs> um well anyway, right Maney's demon Modu um would talk. And uh Modu said that Sarah and Fid had been bewitched by wait for it, good yeah. wife white of Bushy. Of Bushy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. bewitched by the good wife white of bushy that that was the that was this woman's name uh, a woman who is commonly believed to be a witch oh. um the story gets more bizarre uh the priests captured white's cat that's uh, the good white of the good wife white of bushy um they captured her cat and whipped it until it vanished away <laughs> vanished away <laughs> i don't that's understand a good way <laughs> oh, it vanished away. Um, okay, they I they sent a messenger. Who decided to, to whip the cat. <laughs> I know that is was it. What's the logic? I just don't understand it. Do but you, that's what you know, I'm you know in films like uh, all I can think of at the moment is the uh, is Monty Python. But you know in, in those films when people are stuck <laughs> up on chains on the walls, yeah. or they're upside down in cuffs. And <laughs> I just imagine a really small little set for a cat. <laughs> cat's paws are, are sort of positioned upwards and locked in and, and they've got a little whipping equipment wow <laughs> <laughs> um, a cat of nine tails I, just uh, on this point i i must say and this is just perfect timing um i have two cats and one of my cats i've just realized is stuck in the room with me now the way that i'm positioned at the moment where i've got my um equipment set up I can't actually move. And he meowed at me about a minute ago. He's now looking at me yawning and he, he can't get out the room because the room is shut. And I'm, we're talking about whipping this cat. Uh, he's now oh. scratching the door. Um, he, we're talking about whipping a cat and, and he seems rather uncomfortable. Um, oh, so yeah. what I'm going to do, oh, I'm actually moving my equipment here because I'm going to have to, uh, I, I'm not stopping the podcast, but I'm going to have to get up momentarily and, let my cat out the room which is bizarre because we're talking about cats um dan i understand you've got a cat we have we have a cat is your cat in the room with you um, no she's downstairs sitting on books right there we go <laughs> that's me running back and that was my attempt at getting to talk about something else whilst i got our, up our cat our cat has decided to <laughs> the books that are actually that i'm reading at the moment which is a lot to do with this podcast is uh, what she's sitting on at the moment so oh strange i um 
the um just just getting back to the oh well, not yeah. necessarily to banishing cat wife, but white and bushy yeah. yeah um they the the priest uh, sent a messenger to bushy uh where uh where white or bushy uh, was found in a child's bed having lost her baby in childbirth um yeah. she was found dead in this yeah, so so basically uh I'll, I'll go back over that passage again because there's a lot to unpack on that um uh, modu the demon of mani had said that sarah and fid uh, had been bewitched by the good wife white of bushy so now we've got someone else who's believed to be a, a witch so the priest captured a cat uh assuming it's a, a black cat because they obviously you know it's we're going back to the origins of uh black cats being unlucky and belonging to wishes uh, witches um they killed it and then they sent a messenger to her um but they found her in a child's bed dead and fid going back to fid the uh fid the femur um, the 17 year old who didn't like chores, uh, she accused the priests of murder. Well, so it's all starting reasonably, really. Yeah, it's, it's all starting to get a bit. I mean, uh, it's already got messy and dark, but it's getting odd now. Um, but of all the demoniacs, uh, Maney put on the best show, uh, in my opinion. Um, prior to Easter 1586, so before this kicked off, he announced that every Sunday he would have a. It, it's very regular. He announced that every Sunday he would have a vision of purgatory and on good friday he would ascend to heaven so he built this up for ages and then he that, said oh you, when it comes you mean to that was the vision that he had the he would ascend to heaven not that he would every good friday because people Wait, would no. be people would believe him a lot more would they not if every every good friday for the last 10 <laughs> yeah, years he's flown yeah. off to I heaven mean, and then pop back yeah, no, that wasn't regular. The, the is is um every Sunday he'd had that vision of purgatory, right. and um and uh and he, he believed that on this Good Friday coming up that he he would ascend to heaven. Wow. Uh, not surprising, so he built it up for ages basically, and then not surprisingly, a large crowd gathered on the appointed day to witness event this event. Uh, <laughs> mainly lay on his bed, uh, obviously in front of a large crowd, which is odd, and he preached and prayed in a stern fashion from laying down. <laughs> Uh, and then, then lapsed into a two-hour trance. Um, when he awakened, he signed, he sighed and groaned and said, "And, if, and what, before I say what he says, have you got a? Is there another particular accent that we believe mm. that maybe the eighteen-year-old English bloke who was a yeah. French yeah. Yeah. monk? Uh, what, do you know what his accent? Uh, I can't well, remember. I, I believe it's Russian, so." <laughs> yeah, he, he, I mean, he did have an unusual background, didn't he? Um, yeah. But he say so he awakens from this trance and he sighed and he groaned and said, "My time is not yet come. A blessed lady have appeared to me and told me that I must live longer yet, for that God mm-hmm. have reserved for me a further purpose to do more good and to tell us strange wonders and Vladimir Putin." <laughs> That was brilliant. It went a bit Scottish towards the end. I do more good. I can't even do it myself. It was uh, uh, yeah. So so essentially, what ha- what's happened here is he said, uh, "Every Sunday I have visions of purgatory. Um, I w- on Good Friday I'm going to ascend to heaven." The crowd comes and he, he tells them in a stern fashion and preaches and prays for a very long time. And then yes. when he wakes up, he says, ah, it turns out it's not my time yet. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> Sorry, guys. 
so yeah that was basically it that's that's what he what he did but um um that that's not the end of it for Maney, who let's face it appeared to enjoy a little bit of attention uh he had more theatrics in him yeah. um the, the last exorcism occurred on uh april 23rd 1586 uh, for for Maney. Maney's demon modu appeared and said that he was accompanied by seven other demons all of them captains and of great fame because um, his, his demon was actually from the West country. Uh, whereas he was obviously Russian. So that was yeah. interesting. Um, th- but get this, they, so the, the seven other demons that, um, who apparently all captains, captain demons. So we had those like senior chief angels, didn't we the other week? And now we've got yeah, the captain angels. and, and of great fame. Cause they were like Cardi B and the, you know, the demon of Jimmy Savile, I don't know. The, yeah. They all acted out the seven deadly sins. And um, the, the text says that when this gross display was finished, Modu cursed the popish priests and said that all of Maney's visions were false and intended to induce Catholics to worship devils disguised as Christ and the Virgin Mary. Interestingly, okay, Mo, it was Modu who cur- cursed these popish priests. Um, yeah. And Modu called the Virgin Mary saffron bag, <laughs> which was a very interesting name for the Virgin Mary. It's a bit, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Maybe that's why earlier on when Sarah Williams was showing the pictures, she was called, oh, that's saffron bag. <laughs> <laughs> why do you keep showing me pictures, pictures of saffron bag? I don't understand. So, oh, and- uh, Exactly. Uh, Richard's acted out the seven deadly sins, which again must have taken some time. They're watching him and he's acting them all out. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's eating that old bag of crisps to himself. And that, that was his gluttony. But it's not, not only that, he's miming it. <laughs> miming eating crisps. And he's yeah, miming yeah. sloth. Sloth, <laughs> obviously. Richard, didn't <laughs> You just don't do anything, and then that's it. It's like he's not doing yeah. anything. Oh, he must be miming sloth. Are you sure he's, he's not sloth? <laughs> and then, and then eventually, they're all like, "Come on, Maney, hurry up!" And that's when he turns around. And he says, "Oh, you lot, you're all false." Also, <laughs> uh, intended to induce cap- uh, saffron bag. That's the thing that gets me. I like it though. <laughs> saffron bag must be a really unique name. Do you reckon though it was? It, it's I, I. I must admit I haven't researched into saffron bag, and I don't know if it would. It, you know, if we'd find anything under that. But I wonder if it was just because like, obviously that's what this demon is calling the Virgin Mary. He's going, you saffron, your saffron bag. Now I don't know if it's you know like someone today you might go, oi shit face, yeah, <laughs> or knobhead. Um, yeah. and some he's gone, oi saffron bag. Maybe saffron bag smelt or something. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> saffron bag. I just can't even think of what it could mean. <laughs> yeah. Dan, at that point, yeah, yeah all of yeah. the demons departed. Well, that's lucky. Yeah, it was, it was quite fortunate for him. So uh, I think the demons departed. I also think everybody else that was near him departed. <laughs> I think they did. This bloke. Yeah, man, he's lost it. Let's go and watch that girl with the with the saint's hand <laughs> <laughs> exactly let's find fit shall we yeah well she's got her femur so dan that was uh that was a wonderful um bewitching tale uh it has so much history in it it's it's uh quite astounding really why we didn't learn that if you're interested there's so much to read about it all 
Oh, no. Why didn't we learn about that at school? I do not know. Probably because yeah, didn't really go to school. Oh, fair enough. Dan, I've just looked at the time. Do you know what time it is? I think it's Spirit of Week. Spirit of Hey, it's Spirit of the Week. Spirit of the Week. So just a quick recap for anyone who doesn't, uh, or had, uh, sorry, who hasn't listened to uh, the British Haunting podcast before. Um, each week, uh, myself and Dan bring to you a Spirit of the Week. Um, we do this as a surprise for each other, really. So Dan will bring a spirit that I've not heard of before, and I will bring a spirit, not literally. Uh, we try not to. We try not to consult the dead whilst we're uh, we're live on air. Um, but we will bring to you a famous, well-known uh, ghost from our British shores, or perhaps one that you've never heard of, or perhaps it might just be a, a particular haunting. Um, Dan, who have you got for us this week? Uh, well, in keeping with what we've been talking about, I've gone slightly back from where we were and mm-hmm. gone for um, what has been said to be the most famous ghost in all of the UK. Ooh. So, second wife to Henry VIII, the church's leader, mother to Big Liz, we've got Anne Boleyn. Wow. Yeah. You have got, you've gone for the, the big guns this I've week. Gone for the big guns. It fits in with what I was talking about in a sense because we were talking about Big Liz. We were talking about the churchiest of all church leaders. <laughs> and now we're going to just have a, a quick um, tour of this person's story. So, yeah. Amberlyn, her headless ghost is said to return every year on the anniversary of her extremely deep haircut. <laughs> As night falls, her ghost rides up to Blickling Hall in a coach drawn by a headless horseman with her own head in her lap, hopefully facing outwards. Um, as the coach pulls up to the house, it all vanishes into the cool night air. Ooh. Tradition has it that when news of Anne's death reached the hall in 1536, four headless horses were seen dragging the body of a headless man across Norfolk. So Blickling Hall is in Norfolk, and I've actually been it. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Annie B, as I'm going to call her, is also <laughs> said to be regularly seen at Sal Church and Marwell Hall, where she was betrayed by the churches of her ex-husband. Hever Castle, where she was brought up, and Windsor Castle, and also the Tower of London, which was the site of her execution. Mm-hmm. Anne Boleyn's father, Sir Thomas, is also said to haunt Blickling Hall, having been cursed for taking no action to prevent two of his children being executed by Henry V-I-I-I-I-I-I. <laughs> Each year, his ghost has to, has to attempt to cross 12 bridges before Cockrow. His Crikey. frantic route takes him from Blickling to Aylsham to Burr to Buxton to Cottishall Mayton, Oxnead, and Roxham. Correct. Who who set that challenge up for him? Uh, Taskmaster. That's... I think it was Alex Horn. Oh, you know my namesake. Da, yeah. da, 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 da. It's uh, it was televised. 
So, can, can you imagine that you you you're dead, okay, and like you know you haven't quite made it into the afterlife properly, you know, as in you haven't got to heaven or hell or some other final resting right. place. Yeah. And you know, a, a, whereas like some you know some spirits will remain in places until they're moved on, or you know will be in perpetually in like we've described before, like this kind of almost like a movie scene, replaying the same last moments of their life over and over again. Mm, some. Yeah, just like Ground, Groundhog Day. Can you imagine being um, Anne Boleyn's um, father? What's it, Sir Thomas Bolin? Yeah. So STB sounds like a, a STB in the place to be. He sounds like he's some kind of I don't know musical artist. Um, he, he doesn't get it. He he was like he was you know going to star in the is pioneering the early episodes of Wipeout or some other show where you've got to jump over big foam objects and not fall into water. And um, then he's he's been made to cross these twelve bridges. You can't get into afterlife until you cross them all. But it's impossible. Yeah, and it's a, a ghostly person with a little ghostly stopwatch. Who every time it gets to a certain point of, I mean, I I haven't read when this is meant to be, but I like the idea of him coming back as a ghost, and he's like, oh, I'm back again. Oh. And then he turns, and there's a guy with a stopwatch, probably ghostly Alex Horn. Like, <laughs> yeah, go! He's like, "Oh, fucking this again! Shit!" And then he's riding. He doesn't even say why he's doing this. What, no. what would it? What would it achieve? You know, you've been cursed for taking no action to prevent the death of two children. But what does going through these twelve bridges between these places in Norfolk really achieve? Who knows? Well, maybe. Maybe the torture is having to go through Norfolk. <laughs> Probably is. Although it's all flat, so it's okay. You know, it's not that bad. Dan, would you like to hear my spirit of the week? Yeah, I mean, it's a genuine surprise what this is going to be. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, the, there's a, it's not just one spirit, but allegedly there's there's a couple in uh, in my account for you. So, and th- this is bringing it up to speed a little more. We're not in the, um, like the 15, uh, what is it? 1530s. In that one. Uh, more like the late 1800s and early 1920s. Ooh. So, yeah. Um, but just for anyone listening to this, uh, just before we, we disappear from this week's podcast, um, uh, just to let you know, obviously you have been listening to Dan Brunetti and myself, uh, Stephen Horn. Um, and that is quite pivotal for this this story, really. Uh, my surname is Horn, and uh, this is the Horny Man Ghosts. <laughs> oh, nice! I know. So, I I was uh, what I wanted to do is because a lot of our action took place um, in and around our capital city of London. Um, I wanted to start looking at a couple of ghosts uh, that have been, you know, historically found found in London, and um, and this one comes from south london so again if you're not particularly au fait with uh, the culture in london there's different areas of london and and uh the you you've almost certainly heard of cockneys so um and uh, and cock not that they're a separate breed i've uh, should probably reposition how i say this so uh um you, you would have geordies in newcastle uh manx from manchester 
and you'd get a lot of people who dis- would describe themselves as Cockneys from L- uh, London. Hello, Cockneys, knees up, and all of that lot. <laughs> so anyway, so this takes place in South London, and this is the uh, the horny man ghosts that can be found in the Horny Man Museum, yeah, like which museum. It, it sounds almost on par with the uh, world-famous sex museum in Amsterdam uh, and the uh, penis museum in Amsterdam. This is the Horny Man Museum, but it's horny spelled H-O-H-O-R-N-I-M-A-N. Um, unlike my name, which is H-O-R-N-E. So uh, in the 1860s, Victorian tea trader uh, Frederick uh, Frederick Horniman began began collecting... I don't know why I'm laughing at his name, Frederick Horniman, when I'm Stephen Horney. So there we go. Um, Did you just say he was a tea trader? He was a tea trader, Victorian Uh, tea trader. Not a a tea trader, man. No. (laughs) Uh, I love tea trees, me. Uh, he began collecting specimens and artifacts from around the globe with the express intention of bringing the world to Forest Hill in London. Mm-hmm. To that end, in 1890, he began opening his house to the public three times a week. Now, this isn't just some small house. If you go and Google uh, the Horny Man Museum um, in London, it's huge. It's an enormous building. Uh, but it's uh, So he started opening up to the public three times a week. In 1898, his house was demolished, um, so you can't see his actual house, and Charles Harrison Townsend constructed a new museum in the Art Nouveau style, Um, but it was on the same footprint, so you can imagine how big his house was. Um, The new museum opened in 1901 and was granted as a free gift to the people of London for their recreation and their enjoyment forevermore. Uh, The museum is still thriving, which is great news. Um, but as well as seeing the, he- the exhibits, visitors may also have the opportunity of making the acquaintance of the ghostly man and woman that haunt the terrace at the rear of the museum mm-hmm. to the side of the conservatory. So I, I, when, when the museums start opening up again, Dan, I think we should add this to one of the many places we're going to be going to. Really sure. um, and we've been in pretty much, I would like to thought we've been in most museums in London. But I've not been in the Horny Man Museum, unfortunately. Um, as as for these goats, have you been in there? Yeah. Have you been there? Yeah, mate. Oh, oh I didn't know that. Was it good? Yeah, as well. Did you see? Did you see any ghosts? I'll, I'll um, let you know when you tell me about them. Oh, okay. Well, they can be found at the terrace at the rear of the museum, as I said, near the side of the conservatory. Who they are, no one knows for certain, although there is a general consensus from witnesses, and there has been many, many witnesses, um, including a lot of staff there, that their dress sense is of the 1920s. Um, the man's hair is heavily greased back, and the woman's most notable feature is the bright red dress that she wears. Lady in red. Mm-hmm. Um they they appear to be enjoying some long ago garden party or ball for those who encounter them um, um for those who encounter them are most emphatic that they are dancing across the terrace although no music is ever heard after a few moments the waiting wraith spin their way into the trees and are gone um so it's very much one of those um, haunting moments we've spoken about where it's almost like a movie scene, like it's like the last part of their lives playing over and over again. So usually you get that with objects, don't you? Whether it's like a a ghostly train or or a vehicle or something like that. Um, It's not as common with people. Well, I say it's not as common with people. It's usually involves some object, but 
I, what I like about that is that that suggests possibly that, you know, it may have been where some of the old house was or where there was some other part of the building which no longer um, exists. Um, so that would be my hypothesis going through that information that actually it, they might be dated back further than 1920s and might be older and that they were they're moving in part of where the old house used to be. Um, which is why they, you know, would have been listening to music and dancing across, and perhaps some kind of disaster happened there, which uh, resulted in, um, you know, that house being passed on. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that one, Dan? Well, the Hornyman, <laughs> the Hornyman Museum's got all sorts of stuff that the person must have. Uh, I, th- I believe he brought back from different places, including mm. a giant stuffed walrus. Do you know if there's a giant stuffed walrus ghost? Um, uh, I, I don't know, but um, I'm tempted to say that if you make an inappropriate joke about the Horny Museum, that the walrus would say tusk tusk. <laughs> yeah, then don't we? Yeah, <laughs> Dan, that was my uh, my spirit of the week. Um, yours was amazing, Anne Boleyn. Um, like you say, the probably the most famous ghost in the whole of uh, whole of Britain. Yeah um and uh and we you know brought the tone right down from going royalty to talking about the horny man um so from one (laughs) so from one horny man to another um it's been a pleasure as always um good night night, dan and to you listeners we wish you uh not only a good night if you're listening to us at night but we wish you a wonderful new year and we uh, hope for you that uh 2021 is going to be a much brighter and better year um, than 2020 has been for many people. And we look forward to uh, bringing to you a year worth of um, podcasts. Um, we, we are looking forward to, uh, uh, to later on in this year when we can start actually getting out and going on to some, uh, some more ghost, uh, ghost hunts and some other activities, which we hope to bring to you in the hopefully not too distant future. So again, uh from me steve and from dan uh a happy new year and catch up with us in a week or so bye bye